Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Father God, I just uh, come before you right now, God, and I just pray with everything that you want to say, God, that you use uh, my words, Lord, to, to bring a message that's in season, Lord God, that is inspired by you, God, and that your Holy Spirit will lead me in anything I might need to say. And I just commit this into your amazing hands. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, who's had a near-death experience? Okay, so I've had a near-death experience. Um, I've had about four all on the same trip. Um, it was when I was in my early 20s, and a bunch of us guys thought we'd go and do a, uh, like a, a boys' trip out camping. Um, it was kind of like a coming-of-age trip, like a boys-to-men trip. That's what I called it in my journal. Um, <laughs> but it was 10 guys. It was the middle of winter, so it was freezing. It was in Canberra, capital city, come on, of Australia, to clarify. Uh, there was lots of pine trees around, low scrub, um, and we decided to camp on the side of an old rally car raceway. Um, and one thing you might note as well, in this time of season, there was, you know how there's all the spiders around at the moment, like the little orb spiders? There were like those, but it's Australia, so they're probably 30 times the size, literally. Um, and it was kind of one of those places where you would either blow something up or you'd bury a body. <laughs> Based off my personality, which one do you think it is? Um, but it was four-wheel drive access only. So um, the 10 of us guys all arrived. We parked our cars and we clambered onto the side of another four-wheel drive, which could actually get us up to the spot we were camping. You heard me right. Climbed onto the side of the four-wheel drive. And we set up camp and it was all, all sorts of fun and we thought we'd go for a drive. Now, bearing in mind, we were on a property that was not enforcing road rules, it, but... There were some very like common rules of nature and, and like it kind of breached common sense, but we did it anyway. So we're hanging off the side of this vehicle. There's two guys driving, well, one guy driving, um, two in the back, two on the sides, two on the other side, and then two on the back of this four-wheel drive. And we were taking an old rallyway, which there have been car accidents there with professional rally drivers. So we take this hill and... We're going down and we're picking up speed and all of a sudden um, we hit this lip and we're airborne. And all I'm thinking like, is like, what's going to happen? My life is flashing before my eyes and I'm like, I'm surely dead. And to make matters worse, what happens next? A lovely little Australian wombat runs in front of the vehicle. Now, this is not an exaggeration. That's how close it was to the four-wheel drive. So my life flashed before me again and all I was thinking is like, well, yep, this would be a great place to end up because no one would know I was here. Um, but at this trip, we also had a set of challenges. It was the idea, it was this coming of age thing. And there was like food challenges and hunting challenges, um, starting a fire, the quickest, the biggest, spill kerosene all over the native bushland and set it ablaze. That was the kind of stuff we were doing, real boys to men stuff. Um, one of the challenges we had to do was a tracking and orienteering challenge. So we got set up in groups of two and uh, pretty much what happened was um, it was sort of the first back to home base. So we got taken up this mountain and it was quite ominous and it was late at night. It was, nine, like, it was like nine o'clock at night. It was cold. I was freezing. I was wearing like vans, so it was not outback material. Um, it was about a two-kilometre sort of trip back to camp. So... 
It was a competition. So there was unhealthy amounts of pride and testosterone pulsating, well, wrong word, pulsing through our bodies. Oh, no recovery from that. It's definitely not in my notes. After the... And pretty much what happened was there was this, this light at base camp, which we had to transition back to. We had to transverse this incredible vastness of pitch black, uh, like pine trees and, and scrub and, and, and orb spiders. It was like the Hunger Games. The, the beacon was lit and the drums began to play. Literally, there was a drum, it was awesome. And it, it echoed through the trees and we were off. My teammate and I decided on a whim not to take the footpath or to take the road, but to transverse this ridiculous path that we'd set ourselves on straight down the middle. Um, and it was that competition within us that fueled us to pursue the prize of pride, of, of these winnings. Um, and even when these other symptoms arised that told us to give up, that the hope of this intangible reward surpass the struggle at hand. Um, so I was doing some study on joy this week, because that's what I'm talking about. First uh, Peter 1.8 says, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Inexpressible joy. Inexpressible means too strong to be described or conveyed by words. So tonight, would you welcome Paul Chabaniak, for 40 minutes of inexpressible joy. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding, mate. I told you I'd stitch you up. We talked about it earlier. So what do we know about joy? Joy is a fuel. Joy lights the flame. Nehemiah 8.10. It's a, it's a buzz scripture. We know this one. It says that um, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Bible actually talks about joy a lot over hundreds of times. We know that joy comes from God. We know that God cannot give something that is out of character for him. Every good and perfect gift, where does it come from? It comes from above. James 1.17 says that. But it's not simply an attribute of his. God is joy. Joy finds its source in him. It's a special source. The Bible states in Galatians 5 that it's also a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said in John 15, we are the branches and he is divine. As we abide in him, he abides in us. Our proximity is, is in direct correlation to our fruitfulness of how we bear these gifts. And it's not a gift that you simply pick off a tree and you, you switch it on and off and you get to decide when you get to use it. It's the fruit of someone who lives completely unashamedly for Jesus. It's the fruit of proximity to him. You can't switch them on and off. This is a fruit that is evident of a life that abides in Christ. Jesus goes on to say that life not abiding in him that is without him is actually ineffective. So this tells me something, that joy is actually not of this world. It's transcendent of this world. It's something that we can't actually get from our earthly allotment. It's not available for you right now in your neighbor. It's not available for you right now in your job, in your family. It's something that only can be accessed through the realms of heaven. I want to share a story from Scripture. Um, you may have heard this story, you may not have. It's about a guy called Job. It's spelled J-O-B, it's not Job. 
It's Job. I don't know how we got there, but it's what, what I got told. So Job verse 1, sorry, Job chapter 1 verse 1. In the land of Uz, start beatboxing, um, there, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, It's a lot of donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man, I didn't say this, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So people knew him. He was well known. He was well known for his asset. His son used to hold feasts in their homes uh, on, on their birthdays and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves to the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and I feel like he's got a little bit of like, I don't know, swag when he says this. He's like, you know, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth upon it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you seen this guy? You've probably heard of him. He's a, they talk about him, right? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. This is a guy who lived ambitiously for God. Does Job, and sorry, and then Satan replied to him, he says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. Satan recognized the blessing. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely, surely, he will surely (laughs) curse you to your face. I find it painfully ironic that Satan would make a wager with God. Um, The Lord says to Satan very well, everything he has is in your power, but the man himself do not lay a finger. So Satan does what he does best. The Bible says that the enemy came to kill, he came to steal, and he came to destroy. So he came and did that. He went to town on Job, like went to town. Anything that he perceived as bringing Job some sort of happiness or anchor or pillar to his life, he started to uproot and destroy those things. His oxen and his donkey, they got stolen. They were gone. His sheep and his servants, the Bible says, they got burned up. Lamb casserole. (laughs) Um, Camels, gone. His sons, his children, his daughters, they died. All of these things that we might find some kind of anchor in in our life. The enemy just took a moment and he ripped it out like that. What do you do in that situation when you've got nothing? I love what Pastor Emma said, I believe it was last week or I think the week before actually. What do you do when it's just you and God? That's where Job found himself. Nothing else, him and God. What did he he do? What would you have done? Verse 20 says this. At this, Job got up, tore his robe and shaved his head, which is, it's a sign of mourning. It's a sign of of anguish. And this is what it said he did in his anguish. 
He didn't turn to anything else. It says he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job fell down in worship, and he praised and rejoiced in the Lord. Not only this, like to make matters worse, his own wife said, hey, you should curse God and die. The person probably closest to him in his life didn't have faith in God, didn't have any form of joy. See, what's interesting is while the enemy had been passing through momentarily, his gaze, like I said, was set on the eternal. What did Job have in his hand? He'd assumed that this earthly asset was where he got his strength from. But God had more insight. I love this. God had, in, God had envisioned Job before he was born. Before the dawn of creation, God saw Job. He was there to weave him together in the womb of his mother. God was there the day he was born. He was there as he grew. God stood by Job daily as he offered humble offerings, disciplined devotions. Each child that Job had just lost, God was present to form each of them with interesting care in their mother's womb. He was the God of generations. He'd seen Job from day dot. He'd had a plan for Job. In fact, every earthly blessing and inheritance was only because of the hand of God. God banked on Job. So when he went into this wager, he banked on Job. Not because of an earthly asset. See, God recognized something in Job. Like, I have a son, Judah, and he does some crazy stuff. But God saw something in Job. Like, I would see something in my son. People say, hey, you kind of look like Judah, or Judah looks so much like you. And, and God, in that moment, he recognized something within Job that would transcend this situation, right? Hebrews 13.8, I love the book of Hebrews. It's like my favorite book. Um, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is something you need to know about God. He's immutable, which means he's unchanging. He's forever present and he's always good. God is unwavering in his own character even when your perception of him is wrong. His divine promises are set. He's not changing his mind. His mind is made up and he's not swaying by the matters of this world. And his very unchanging character, you know what it means? It means his wisdom, his precepts, his principles, his love, his power, his mercies are also unchanging toward, toward you and I. And joy is the very pondering and the reassurance in the unblemished character these things, when we reflect on those, that's when joy flows. It's funny, like I said, it's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Each fruit of the Spirit, it's something Andrew said one time that um, each fruit is grown in the soil of the opposite, right? Really interesting thought, but each fruit of the Spirit that we think about, which is found in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. I miss one. Faithfulness. I was going to say that, but I was like, that's too Christian. Um, (laughs) It's just a buzzword. Um, But each of these fruits of the Spirit all requires the contrary to thrive. 
To be patient, you must choose it in the face of frustration. To be kind, you must choose it in the face of disappointment. To be loving, you must choose it to be truly loving. The Bible says that how great is it that someone would lay down their life for a brother, but God laid down his life for his enemies. So love must be chosen in the face of hatred. And to be full of joy, you must choose it in the face of persecution and oppression. See, Job had his questioning and his complaints. Didn't make sense. But it never undid his faithfulness to his commitment to God. Isaiah 55.8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. See, we don't get it sometimes. Job didn't fully get it. You read through Job and it wasn't a, a straightforward, you know, let's come out on top straight away. There was this pondering, this, this inner, inner turmoil and challenge, but in it, he never forsook the name of Jesus, the, na- the name of God. See, when I watch my son take his finger and he puts it in a, a socket, not that he's done that, because <laughs> I should stop that, right? <laughs> Shouldn't let it get to that point, you know. But when he does, when he goes to do it, I've got to stop him. But because his thoughts are not my thoughts, because he doesn't fully comprehend what, what I see, I perceive the bigger picture, I'm looking after him, he gets frustrated. He starts to whinge and squeal, and I'm like, dude, just don't put your finger in the socket. He doesn't understand, but... In the same way, sometimes we don't get it. But joy will also transverse our own understanding. See, when I was barreling down that hill, that night, that awful night, I was fueled by something that transcended the physical in that moment. I was cold, I was tired, my feet were wet, but I want to win. See, Job chose to remain faithful because he focused and pondered on something external to the situation he was in. He set his eyes and affections on above, the eternal. See, we pursue happiness, and and it really is just this pursuit of comfort and control. Like, in that moment, if I'd done that, my shoes soaking and all, I nearly ate an orb spider, I would have wanted to give up, and I did. Psalm 4, verse... Seven says this, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You have put more joy in my heart than when they have when their wine and and grain abound. So the joy that I receive from the eternal far outweighs anything this world could ever give me. It is superior. It is better. It is it is inexplicable. Happiness and comfortability is not an anchor. Try anchor yourself to shifting sand. And what the enemy didn't realize that Job wasn't anchored to his possessions. So we're encouraged to set our eyes on the author and the pioneer of our faith. Hmm. Joy doesn't play the victim. See, it operates from a place of victory. And we've got to stop living like the enemy has got the upper hand on us. We walk around dragging our feet. <sighs> Joy to God. But what we need is a bit of grit, a bit of determination, 
a bit of passion from above. We need to find this source of joy, not in what we can see and perceive, but from another place. But this isn't something that you can just turn on and off, like I said before. It's not something that you can just choose to have in the face of persecution and oppression. You actually need to foster a lifestyle that, that is developing that fruit, that's developing that joy when you need it. It's got to be established in your life before it falls apart. Psalm 1 says this, one of my favorite psalms, lots of scripture I love. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted beside the riverbank bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. The investment starts now. Your day and night meditation. What does that look like? We're not meditating to clear our mind. We're meditating on the principles, the goodness, the, the, the promises of God. That's what we set our focus on when we meditate. I'm not trying to clear my head from the day. I'm trying to fill it with the goodness that the day will not have control over me, will not determine my every decision, that my wisdom and my decisions that I do make, they're not made through the lens of my day, but they're made through my God, through His joy. Proximity and discipline. This is what we need. When, Joe, when God went all in on Job, it was because he'd seen how over the course of his lifetime, his own divine DNA was firmly established within Job, an unwavering worship, an investment into the proximity with God. So what's the purpose of this great joy? I mean, like, seems like it's pretty good, but there's something from it. There's actually something that comes out of it. In, in Exodus, we get a bit of a picture of this. So the Israelites had just stepped out of a season of favor and prosperity. Well, they, uh, Joseph at the time um, had been given all authority in the kingdom by the king, the Egyptian king. And before Joseph died, he told the Israelites that God didn't want them to stay in Egypt. He didn't want them to stay in this place. But God had actually promised them a place of, of inheritance, a place of the Bible says flowing uh, honey and fruit, honey and pecans. I, I'm allergic to pecans. Milk and honey. Just remember that. If you get upset with something, I say just throw pecans at me and I'll, I'll swell up. No, I shouldn't joke about that stuff. Come on. Come on. This is a church. Um, this is what it says in Exodus 8. So Joseph has passed away. Exodus 1 verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have come far too numerous for us. We must deal with them shrewdly, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies. They're going to fight against us, and then they'll leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built... Pithom and Ramses, Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. Verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. See, it was the oppression, the challenge, the hardship, the persecution 
that didn't stifle what God was doing through his people, it fueled it. Because these people weren't operating out of a place of fear anymore, they were living off the principles of joy. And how do we know this? Well, if you read verse 15 to 20, it says the king at the time, he started freaking out. He's like, these people are getting so numerous. So he's like, I'm going to cut them off at the source. So you know what he did? He said to all the midwives, you were to kill every boy. Every boy that's born, kill him. But these, mid- these midwives, the Bible says that they feared the Lord. That they didn't make the decision through the pressure. They made it through the lens of a faithful God. It says they protected these children. And you know what God did to reward them? He increased them. He grew them because they remained faithful through trial. See, your joy is not just for you. It's not just a happy, clappy joy. This joy is some grit. It bears some weight in the spiritual realms. With joy at our helm, the believers of this city, the church of this nation will grow within any form of oppression the enemy tries to throw at us. What a powerful thing that when we have joy at our helm, there is nothing the enemy can throw against us. He can't come up against it. No weapon formed against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. The same, this is hilarious. So the enemy has forged all these weapons, he's spent his time, he's been working, he's like, man, I've been watching you, I've seen what you've got in your hand, I know what I'm going to do to beat that, I'm going to oppress you, I'm going to throw everything at you that I got. And in the time of forging the weapon, God's already given us the answer. And so when the enemy forges the weapon and begins to use it, instead he just hands it to us. And we get to use it on him. Anything that he throws against us, it's like water off a duck's back. There is nothing when we take on the posture of praise, when we take on the, we encloak ourselves with the garment of praise, when we take on joy, that, that can steal this from us. There's nothing the enemy can do to kill, steal, or destroy. Sorry, mate. And you think that the enemy would learn, right? You think that from this journey he would learn? But we, we, he's a slow learner because he picked another fight with God. In fact, the very weapon he tried to use again turned back on him, dispossessing from any power and authority now and forever. See, God had another child, a son, fully man, fully God. Do you want to play some sweet tunes? Thanks, bro. I should have prepped you. God had another child, a son. Fully man, fully God. See, Jesus, our Jesus, he faced oppression on all fronts. Physicality. Actually, it's interesting. I remember when Jesus was born, the, the king at the time tried to do the same thing. He heard there was king in town. He was like, kill all the boys. They couldn't get him. Enemy couldn't touch him. It was the severest of punishments. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, there was this punishment that went on as he endured a cross and everything that came before that. As he lived a life in opposition 
to the culture of the time as he live a life that was filled with joy. This is, I love this. I love this part. See, through the punishment and death Satan bestowed upon Christ, he tried his very best effort to fully separate mankind from God forever. He didn't realize he was actually just pulling down his own kingdom brick by brick. In overcoming death, Christ has bridged the gap between all of humanity and our heavenly father. There is now no Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor man or woman in Christ. All are united. All are under the banner of him. Unity has come. From this point, the church began to boom. We read all through the book of Acts. See, the flame of the Holy Spirit was lit and the church began to spread like wildfire. In Acts 2.41, says the church spread from the 12 and some additional people to 3,000 in one day, in one moment at Pentecost. From there, the Bible says that the people adhered to the doctrine of fellowship. They followed God's ways. They remained consistent under anyone who would try and silence them. And you know what God did? Added to their number. Acts 4, verse 4. 5,000 more were added. See, there's a connection, isn't there? Hebrews 12 says this, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with endurance the race set out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus... Ah, come on. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, stepped into his authority. Come on. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners that you do not grow weary and lose heart. He never failed because it was joy that was set before him. See, the greatest impact in our lives, it's not by the car we drive. I mean, I think most people can figure that out. It's not by the assets we have. It's not by the job that we have, the career. So the greatest impact in the lives of those yet to meet Christ will be because of the attitude of joy we choose to put on in the face of trial, in the face of hardship, the face of oppression. Romans 8, 28. For we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We're stepping into a season of praise. We're stepping into this season of joy. And it's not going to be the happy clap. There's going to have moments where we're going to be praising, we're going to be shouting but it's about an attitude of our heart. Where does our source of joy come from? Where is that found? See, we need to take challenge of anything that is laying before us. We need to take hold of what challenge lies before us through the power of Christ. See, the very sword the enemy forged against us 
we get to throw down with. What's your proximity to God look like right now? Karis, you can... Where is Karis? Oh, Matt. Thanks, guys. Church, you want to stand with me? See, we're stepping into this season of praise and of joy. You know what that means? We're stepping into a season of growth. And as we step, we need to make sure that in our hearts, that our source of joy is from Him, that it's from something that this world cannot offer. It's got to be enriched by the heavenlies. It's got to be found in, got to be found in Him only. You need to know that the enemy has nothing that he can throw against you that God has not already prepared an antidote for. The Bible says that joy is like a medicine to the soul. Anything that the enemy would try and shoot at you, anything that would try to pull you down, tear you down, God has already provided it in the form of joy. You just got to find it in his presence. You got to spend that time there. We're going to go back into worship. We're going to take a moment. We're going to check our hearts. Where are we at with God? Maybe you're in a season right now where life's pretty good. So let's invest in that. Let's invest in the time with Him. Let's begin to build those walls. Let's begin to work in that down season and equip ourselves through time with Him, through that meditation. Or maybe you're in a season where things aren't so great right now. Maybe things are a bit rocky. Let's find our source in Him. Let's find our joy. It can't, we can't be overthrown Vancouver isn't ready for the joy that we have because Vancouver hasn't seen the kind of joy that we have because it comes from Him. And that's what we stand upon. That's the rock that we get to hold high, the rock that we hold. That's what we get to hold high. That's the banner, the name of Christ over us. And so as we go back in, take a moment, but let's, let's fuel this worship. Let's fuel this time with a sense of praise and a sense of joy. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.